name is Tin. And hi, my name is John. My name is Roseanne. And we are Desire for Holiness. We are three young Catholics ready to share with you our desire to be holy through our stories, our imperfections, and our love for Christ. In the end, you don't have to be perfect to be a masterpiece. God works through our brokenness and puts his pieces back together more beautifully than we could ever do ourselves. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Desire for Holiness. So today we have an extremely special guest. Today we have the Bishop of the Diocese of St. Catharines. Um, so we'd like to welcome His Excellency, Most Reverend Bishop Gerard Bergy. Thank you so much for joining us, Bishop. Hi, Bishop. <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for your kind invitation, uh, Roseanne, uh, John, and Tin. It's a great <laughs> honor for me to be here with you. Right. Thank you. Yeah, thank That's you so much. We just really appreciate yeah. you taking the time. You know how busy you are and how busy the life of a bishop is, which we'll kind of be getting into a little bit today. Um, well, so. if you don't have time to have conversations, then you're too busy. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Wow. That's a good thing to keep in mind. That's a good thing to keep in mind. Perfect. So just to start off the, the episode, just like we always do, we kind of want to get know, to know you a little bit more and help our viewers get to know you a little bit more for those okay. who don't know you. Um, so we have, we're going to start out with our quick fire questions. So oh. our first quick fire question. Fire we, away. Yeah, fire away. <laughs> so we know uh, me, uh, Tin, and Roseanne have, uh, we all graduated in the Niagara Catholic District School Board, and we know um, you actually were the bishop when we all got confirmed. Um, so, and we know you you like to, to crack jokes. We know you're, uh, um, so we'd like to ask, like, what, can you tell us your favorite Catholic joke? <laughs> okay, well, let me, I'll, I'll tell it quickly because of time. So a newly ordained priest, uh, really liked uh, preaching and he felt audiovisuals and preaching, it was very important because people mm -hmm. learn not just from their ears, but also seeing. So mm -hmm. it was Pentecost Sunday and, and he thought that, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is a dove. So maybe if he could get a dove, then, uh, then he could release it during his homily into the church and people would be very impressed. But all he could find was a pigeon. So he got the pigeon and anyway, he made a deal with the server. There was a, an outside door near the sanctuary. So he said to the server, when I... Um, when I start my homily, you take this box, it's got a pigeon, and you go outside and stand outside the door. And when you hear me say these words, and the Holy Spirit descended upon them, open the door and release the pigeon. So he says, okay, Father, I got it. So anyway, it's, it's, it's the Mass, and it's, it's um, uh, Pentecost Sunday, and the priest is preaching. He said, and the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. And he looked to the door, no action. So he said a little louder. And the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. No action. So finally he was screaming. And the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. And just then the door flew open and the altar server ran and said, Father, Father, a cat just ate the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Wait, oh my gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm not trying to, I, I don't mean to, to hurt anyone's feelings that are animal lovers. I mean, that's just, just a joke. It's just yeah. a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you know how much cats prey on birds. I have two cats of my own, and uh, uh, something about cats and birds. I don't know. Very hectic. That was, yes. that was awesome. But I want to assure you, the Holy Spirit is very much alive. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay. So our next question. So we know how in the church there's a lot of. Uh, beautiful like um liturgical in the liturgical calendar there's a lot of beautiful mm -hmm. days a lot of beautiful feast days and we know you've celebrated many masses in your in your um, time as a priest and now a bishop um so what is your favorite mass to celebrate you know um, i mean every mass is for me beautiful and moving and but some have kind of a special meaning and i think for me for some reason it's midnight mass there's just something special and beautiful about midnight mass and and uh I, I don't know. It's just one of my most favorite for some reason. I mean, they're all beautiful. You know, you talk about Easter mm -hmm. Vigil, that's beautiful. But there's just something, I think, in its simplicity, uh, but yet in its beauty, it, it, it always moves me celebrating Midnight Mass. Ooh, oh, wow. that's so Midnight Mass. That's midnight Mass. I don't <laughs> have it. I may have it. Well, oh, probably you, you all, you're probably all early risers, so you're in bed early. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> working on no, it. No comment. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, the beauty of it, you, you, you be, the whole idea is you begin it, and it's still December the 24th, but basically when you complete Mass, it's truly Christmas Day, right? It's, it's after yeah. midnight, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's so beautiful. That's beautiful. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so their next question um, we like to ask is, um, so we've done we've done a little bit of research uh, on you. So mm, have, so have you? So have you? Uh, so you've you've uh, we've we've done some research. Let's see if we've done our research very well. Okay. Um, so ha you you played hockey in the past, correct? Yes, yes, I did. Uh, growing okay. up, I I I like playing hockey. Yeah, probably right up into my uh, mid teens, I played hockey. Probably up to the point I went to university. Oh, awesome. oh. So uh, this is actually one of our friends actually wanted to ask this question. So what level of hockey um, did you play at and what position did you play? Um, what was the first question about? Uh, what, what, position? What, what level of hockey? Oh, level? Yeah. Um, I, I would say I was kind of like, I, I wouldn't be the elite. I would be kind of in the more than house league. I, we had to try out for these teams and, and okay. Uh, okay. so maybe B, maybe <laughs> <laughs> a B average. There we go. But uh, I was a defenseman. So, um, you know, I, I always tell people how I admire so much the goalie, because, you know, if, um, if, if you're a forward in hockey and you, and you make a mistake, you know, bad pass, or you miss, you know, getting somebody that's got the puck, you can say, Oh, I hope the defenseman, you know, gets this person. And then if you're the defenseman, which I was, if you kind of miss the person, you say, Oh, I pray that the goalie will be able to make the save. <laughs> But when you're the goalie, <laughs> the buck stops with you. There's no one else you can rely on, right? <laughs> so I always admired goalies because uh, they, they, they really, it was all up to them. But anyway, yes, I, I, uh, I was a defenseman. Oh, wow. Ooh, wow. Mm -hmm. wow. Although I don't consider myself a defensive person, but I was a defenseman. Oh. <laughs> Changed with the game. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. So, yeah, so this is a, those are our quick fire questions that we have prepared for you. Um, okay. So now, thank so now, you. Just like we have, we've done in the past, um, we'd like to get to know, give you, open up the floor to you to kind of share um, your personal testimony of like your journey of the faith, um, whatever you'd like to share. So, we'd like to sure. open up the floor okay. to you now. Maybe a little bit of my journey. So um, I, I was born and raised in the city of Hamilton, just down the highway from St. Catharines. Uh, I attended a Catholic schools, a Catholic uh, elementary school, a Catholic high school, and in fact, even a Catholic university, because I went to uh, the University of Waterloo and there's St. Jerome's College there, which is a, a Catholic university, but I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, growing up, I didn't consider myself uh, exceptionally uh, holy, uh, even though you, your blog certainly focuses on holiness, but I didn't consider myself exceptionally holy. You know, as a family, we practiced the faith. Uh, you know, we, we went to mass on Sunday. I was an altar server. But I don't think I was one of these persons that right from an early age knew that I wanted to be a priest. In fact, when I was younger, I thought I was going to be an architect. And I'll tell you why. It's kind of a silly reason, but I'll tell you why. <laughs> One Christmas, I got this huge can of building blocks. So this is before Lego, but they were kind of like Lego, same principle. Mm -hmm. You put them together, mm -hmm. and I would always build things. And and uh, so I would show it to my parents, and they'd say, "Oh, that's beautiful. I bet look what you've designed. I bet you're going to be an architect someday." And then friends would come over, you know, the parents, my parents' friends. I would show, "Oh, you're going to be an architect someday." So then, being young, when everyone would ask you, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" I thought, "Hey." I want to be an architect. If it's playing with building blocks all day, that's what I want to do, be an architect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that kind of stayed with me. And then I got into high school and, you know, to be an architect, first of all, you've got to be able to design, to design, so you've got to be able to draw. And uh, certainly my skills in that area were not very good. And also, you, I think you got to be really strong in math. I mean, you've got to figure out if I'm going to design something, it's got to be able to stand up. I mean, you've got to have some basics, I think, of math. And one of the subjects that I struggled with was mathematics. I mean, I got by, but it certainly was not one of my stronger um, subjects. So uh, when I got into uh, grade 12, I really had to start thinking, uh, what do I want to do? Now, a bit of background. My father worked at DeFasco, which is one of the steel plants in Hamilton. And in Hamilton, many people worked at the steel mills. There were two of them. And he, when he would go to work, would give me a ride to school. I didn't have to take the bus. So he would drop me up and it just meant I had to go earlier in the morning. To, and so at that time we had a priest who was the chaplain of the high school. And uh, so I would be in the cafeteria earlier in the morning and then there'd be the announcement mass will start in 10 minutes. So, so I, I'd go to mass. I said, well, why not? I was an altar server. And so I'd go to mass. And so I, I did that for about three years. So when I did get into grade 12 and, and the priest one day after mass said to me, so what are you going to do? What do you think you're going to do? I said, what are you going to, I said, I'm not sure what I want to do. He said, have you ever thought about being a priest? Oh, well, not really, not, not seriously. And then he said something to me that was, I think, was a game changer. He said to me, so the place that you uh, studied to be a priest, it's called a seminary. So you go to the seminary, not because you know you're going to be a priest. 
you go to the seminary because you think maybe this is what God is calling you to do. And in the seminary, you're given the tools of discernment. You know, you're given a spiritual director, you learn more about the church, you learn more about the nature of the priesthood. And then once you're informed, you can make, you know, a, a decision. So when you put it that way, I thought, well, I, I, what do I got to lose? I'm not sure what I want to do. I was still young. So, so, it, so at that time, there was a, a, a residence for those considering studying for the priesthood. It was a house of formation, but it was uh, associated with the University of Waterloo. As I said, it was in Waterloo. So he brought me up there one Saturday to show me around. And so I decided, okay, I'll give it a try. So I was there for three years and I got my BA, uh, Bachelor of Arts. And then at that end of that time, I had to decide, do I really want to continue and go into theology, which was another seminary, St. Peter's Seminary in London. And I thought, well, you know, I, maybe I am called to this. I mean, what I've learned over these three years, it's been good. So, so I, I went to uh, St. Peter's in London, Ontario and spent four years there. And, and then in 1984, I was ordained a priest. And, um, and, and it was a great day of joy for me. And, uh, you know, I, I think I know my, my parents were pleased. Uh, I don't think, I think I kind of shocked them initially when I said I was going to go to the seminary. More so my father, my mother seemed to have more of an intuition, but it wasn't that they kind of all knew this was going to happen. Uh, but, uh, but I remember the, the day that I had to tell them at supper, hmm. I better let, and I was nervous about it as if I was giving them bad news or something. And I remember finally after the meal, I was, you know, uh, and I thought, I got to talk because if I, <laughs> everyone will be gone. So I finally said, Mom and Dad, I'm going to be going to the seminary. <laughs> I remember my father almost choked, but uh, oh. my mother, all my mother said is, Well, I'm really not surprised. So, you know, parents see things in you that you don't see in yourself. And, um, but anyway, I, unfortunately, my mother uh, died young. Uh, first went into the seminary she had died uh, about a year after that so she never did uh, she wasn't present uh, at my ordination but I believe that she is with God and and I'm sure she knew knows what has happened so uh, but anyway yeah so that's that's my point up to being a priest I don't know if you want me to stop there and keep going or oh you can keep going <laughs> okay well, I can your time so um so after I was ordained a priest uh, I served in my first parish, and I can remember with great trepid trepidation uh, that, so usually the, 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 the clergy transfers happen midweek, so that you got time to prepare mm -hmm. for the weekend, and I remember, I, so I arrived in the parish on a Wednesday, it was Our Lady of Lourdes Parish in Hamilton, a lovely parish mm -hmm. community, beautiful, and uh, I remember uh, I was told, you've got a wedding on Saturday, and, and so you've got an appointment to, to meet the couple on Thursday, and the rehearsal's Friday, and the wedding started, well, you know, I remember being a bag of nerves. And, and I remember after that wedding, thinking, oh, are they validly married? Did I forget something? Did I do it right? But I mean, they were validly married. I mean, everything went well. <laughs> and then I remember my first confession. That, that was uh, really, again, I was, I was really uptight. But again, it, it's the Holy Spirit. If, if you just let go and let God, the Holy Spirit really takes over. And uh, I can remember even, even preaching, thinking to myself, and this is the wrong way to think. But I remember thinking, you know, here I'm this kid at 25 years old. I'm getting up there and preaching. And there's people in that church that are twice my age, much more experienced. And they're going to listen to me. I'm just some kid. But then I began to realize, no, no, no. The Lord reminded me, you know, it's not you speaking to them. It's me speaking to them through you. So don't puff yourself up so much. Don't be so important. It's I'm using you as my instrument. So, you know, again, it, it kind of puts things in, in perspective. But it was a wonderful experience. Three years I was there. Um, and then I went on to another parish in Stony Creek, St. Francis Xavier. I was there for two years. And then I got an interesting phone call from Bishop Tonus, who was the bishop that ordained me. He called me in and said, I'd like to send you away for further studies. And, and this was a real shocker because I, I didn't expect that. He said, I want to send you uh, uh, to study canon law, which basically is church law, you know, the, the and he said, I want to send you to Rome to study canon law, church law. So I thought, wow, woo, Rome, yeah, okay. Uh, and I, man, I, I remember, again, I was feeling quite overwhelmed by all of this. Uh, I didn't know any Italian other than spaghetti, lasagna, pizza. <laughs> that was the extent of my, my Italian. Uh, but anyway, um, but it, it, it turned out to be an incredible experience of two years. There's a college in Rome that is specifically for priests who are studying there. And so I got to meet priests from all over Canada. Uh, I studied at a college that was run by the Dominican fathers of the Angelicum, it was called. Uh, and, uh, 
And even though everything was conducted in Italian, slowly I began to learn the language and uh, it was a challenge. But, you know, if anyone ever has an experience to study abroad, to study in another country, another culture, it's, it's incredible. Um, it's just a wonderful experience. It really broadened my perspective on things. So then I came back and then because I had a degree in, in canon law, church law, I worked in what's called the marriage tribunal. And that is a place where when people experience breakdown, a breakdown of the marriage, there's a possibility of getting a decree of nullity. So that's what the marriage tribunal was all about. So I worked there and then I was uh, named uh, the chancellor of the diocese. That's kind of a, an assistant to the bishop, you know, dealing with a lot mm -hmm. of the, uh, the issues uh, that, that um, administrative issues in the diocese. Uh, to work with Bishop Tonis is incredible. He's, when I think back, he was a great mentor for me because he was able to teach me by his example what it means to be a bishop. And then I had the day when I did become a bishop. And I, I, uh, I, I don't know if you want, to, you want me to talk a bit about that? Sure. The day I oh, of course. Bishop, yes. Is that? Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't want to keep dragging on. I'll ask you. Oh, no, it's awesome to hear this. <laughs> okay, okay. So in, uh, in one of my uh, parishes where I lived, and I always lived in the parish, even when I was in the marriage tribunal and a chancellor, as a chancellor, I, uh, I always wanted to, uh, to be connected to a parish because that's my lifeblood. You know, when you're a diocesan priest, the parish is your focus. If you jo join a religious order or community, often they specialize in certain things like education or healthcare. Mm -hmm. But kind of, a, I, I look at diocesan priests as a bit of a general practitioner. We kind of work in the parishes. So I love that. And I was named a pastor finally in the year 2000 and had a great parish mm -hmm. in Hamlin, St. Margaret Mary, beautiful parish, beautiful people so life-giving uh, for me. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, in one of my assignments, I was with a priest and there was a woman who was the housekeeper and she retired and moved up to a little place called Dundalk because that was where she came from. And Dundalk is famous because it is the, it's called the Dundalk Highlands and it's the, where the Grand River originates. So <laughs> it, it's, it's north of Guelph, you go up number six, it's a highway, it's, it's that way. Anyway, so the pastor asked me to come with him and we were gonna go visit her. And so as, as we're coming home, I'm driving, of course, and I get a phone call. And uh, in those time, in those days, you could talk on the phone and drive. This is before you couldn't do that. <laughs> so I answer the phone, and it's a man with a heavy Italian accent. And he says, "Hello, is this Father Bergi?" And I said, "Yes, it is." He said, "You know, this is um, uh, Arch. This is uh, Archbishop uh, Ventura, and uh, I'm the Apostolic Nuncio to Canada." And of course, I thought it was a friend playing a joke on me. Somebody you know feigns an Italian accent. Says, I'm the Nuncio calling you. So then he said something to me that said, no, I think this is, he said, are you alone? Uh-oh. Oh. So <laughs> I said to him, uh, no, I'm not, but I can be in a few moments. And I'm sure that the, the priest who was with me wouldn't have appreciated me kicking him out of the car at 80 kilometers an hour as we're going down this country road. So what I did is I, I pulled over to the side of the road and I got out of the car and, and, I, and I spoke to him. He said, Bishop Burgi, or Father Burgi, th this is good news, not bad news. So be not afraid. He said, I want you to know that uh, Pope uh, Benedict has named you the auxiliary bishop in Hamilton. Do you yeah. accept? Whoa, wow, we. Oh, that's a bombshell, quite a bombshell, you know? So, thinking, oh. so my mind starts racing. What do I say? Yes, no, maybe, give me time. I gotta think about this. I gotta, ah. But then I, again, I think, uh, so then I thought to myself, hmm, bishop is a shepherd. So maybe God can give me a sign how I'm supposed to answer. So I'm out in the country. And the bishop's a shepherd. If I look and I see sheep grazing in the pasture, then I will know that that's a sign from God that I'm supposed to say yes. And as I tell this story, I say, I did scan the horizon and all I saw was an old cow under a gnarly oak tree. Even though there were no sheep and it was just a cow, it was still a moving experience for me. Oh, oh my no. Oh, no. <laughs> yep, it was still a moving experience. Oh, no. <laughs> but 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 honestly, I, I do believe it was the Holy Spirit because what did come to me is so that was in uh, let me think of, that was in two thousand and five, and I was ordained a priest in nineteen eighty four. So twenty one years mm. earlier, I had said yes to God and I became a priest, and I had never regretted that decision. You know, God has been so good to me, and it, and it's been so rewarding. I'm not saying it's always been easy. There's been challenges, but by and large, I've always had this sense that this is what God made me for and God is with me. And so I thought, well, if saying yes 21 years ago brought me such joy, 
saying yes again to the Lord, hopefully will also bring me great joy. So I said to him, okay, uh, Archbishop uh, Benazzi, um, I will, or Ventura, I, I will, uh, I will say yes to the Holy Father. I will. And, uh, and so that, that's uh, what happened. And in August of that year, I was ordained auxiliary bishop to Hamilton, which is basically an assistant bishop to Bishop Tonus, just as a parish has a, a pastor, associate pastor, a larger school has principal, vice principal. I was kind of like the vice bishop, if you want to call it that. Uh, and I assisted him uh, for approximately uh, five years. And then I got another call. And uh, th this, uh, this was another nuncio, except he had a Spanish accent, not an Italian <laughs> accent. And, uh, and again, he told me that at that, that time it was Pope Benedict has appointed me the Bishop of St. Catharines. And, uh, and so once again, I said, well, I, with fear and trepidation, because it's a big change. You know, the beautiful thing about being an auxiliary bishop is you're a bishop, but any of those tough decisions, you say, hey, I can't decide that. I'm not the bishop. So you can always pass the buck to the bishop. <laughs> but when you become the bishop of the diocese, the buck stops with you. And uh, so it was, a, it, was a, it was, to a certain extent, you know, filled me with fear. But ultimately, I had to trust in the Lord. And so in 2010, I became uh, the Bishop of St. Catharines. And as they say, the rest is history. Wow. Oh, wow. That's a, wow. Like, that was, I love that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, this is like our, the awe moment that we have every episode after the time. Like, oh my God. We love hearing stories like people like Faith yeah. Green. We love hearing those. That's, and that's like one of the reasons why we started this podcast to hear other people's face journeys because everyone had their has their own journey everyone comes from and i'm sure place. each one of you have your own wow moments too and, and oh. experiences yeah. oh we definitely do and we are looking forward to having more <laughs> definitely, yes <laughs> definitely looking forward to but yes thank yes. you so much yes. for like sharing uh, bishop Reggie. like it's uh, such an amazing like you're such an amazing testament of the faith and such an amazing leader and example of the faith to all of us um not just well, the three of us you. but to everyone in the diocese um well you're definitely... i i thank you thank you i mean i i I have feet of clay. I, I know I'm not perfect, but I think I can say honestly that I love the Lord and, and I want nothing more than to serve the Lord and to be faithful to the Lord and ultimately to do the Lord's will. And um, I try that. And, 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 you know, sometimes I hit it, sometimes I miss it, but, but that is, is my desire. And, you know, one of the, the most favorite images, you probably can't see it, but um, the, the most important image for me. Now, one thing I'm going to tell you, when you become a bishop, you, you get you get a ring and it's kind of like the whole idea is it's like marriage you know when you get married you get a ring and and it's a sign that the husband and wife are committed to each other I, I'm I, I have this ring to show that I'm you know I'm married to the church the church is my bride and uh, but the image that I have on this is the image of the you can't really see it, but it's the image of the good shepherd it's the Lord and then he's got the lamb on his shoulders and and that has been an image that that has stayed with me throughout my my life as a bishop that I I see myself very much as that good shepherd that that I have to always be reaching out to those that feel lost and lonely and abandoned. And, um, you know, and sometimes that doesn't that beautiful story. When you think about it, you know, the, the shepherd leaves the ninety nine to go look for the lost lamb. And people could say, well, you're nuts because and, and I've heard this said, you know, let's do the, the law of averages. Um, the law of averages is that. The shepherd there in the wilderness protects the sheep right so so if the shepherd goes off and, and looks for the one that's lost and and then can't find the one that's lost or finds mm -hmm. it and it's already gone wild animals got it and then you come back to the sheepfold and you realize that while you were gone some wolves attacked the sheepfold and 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 three were taken away so now you're down four sheep if you just would count your losses and let the one go you you would only been one down, not four. But you see that mm -hmm. God's love and mercy defies logic. You can't you can't apply logical parameters to it. <laughs> that mm -hmm. one was lost, and that has your and that's the one that has your attention. And you have to believe. I have to believe that if I I do that, God will look after the others while I'm focusing on the one that needs me at this moment, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so you know that's that's what I try to live by. I know I'm not perfect, but but that image of the good shepherd seeking the lost bringing the lost home, reunited with the community, having a celebration, you know, the prodigal son, another beautiful example yeah. of that, um, you know, very powerful images that, that really speak to me to speak to my heart, that remind me of what I'm supposed to be as a bishop. Mm -hmm. And in turn, I try to remind the priests 
that they are also to be the same because uh, I can't be in every parish. I'm technically the pastor of the diocese, but because I can't be everywhere, I appoint pastors to act in my name. So they too are yeah. called to be shepherds and they too need mm -hmm. to care for the people entrusted to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love how you're talking about how your ring has um, like the good shepherd on it. I don't know. Yes. That, that was just so beautiful. <laughs> Oh, thank you. No, I had this made by, by a wonderful jeweler. God rest his soul. He's not gone to be with God, but a jeweler here in St. Catharines. And, and he was able to do this for him. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God, for honestly everything. <laughs> um, and I actually have a question because um, I, I remember you mentioned um, Bishop, um, I hope I say his name right, Bishop Tonus. Yes, perfect. Yes. Yes. Um, and he was a very impactful in your faith life. Um, so was there any one in particular who's also been influential in your faith life as a saint or um, other people as well? Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Yeah. Um, I, I think that everyone should have role models and people that they look up to. And, and I think that's especially in life in general, but especially when it, when it comes to faith. And that's where the saints come in. And, and I think um, for me, when I became a bishop, I thought, okay, so who's going to be my role model, my patron saint as a bishop? And, and I, I chose St. Francis de Sales. And, and I'll give you a reason. He's not super well-known, but, but I'll tell you why I chose him. So just a little background on Francis de Sales. So Francis de Sales, uh, was named a bishop right at the time of the uh, Reformation. So this is the time when, you know, people were breaking away from the faith, the, you know, the, the beginning of, of the Protestant religions. And um, one of the, uh, sadly, it was priests who kind of defected and started these, these movements. So, for example, you know, you have Luther, Martin Luther kind of started it off, and, and, and he was a priest. And then there's another man named John Calvin, he was also a priest and he was in Switzerland and, and his center of, of activity was Geneva, Switzerland. So when, when Francis de Sales is, is named the bishop, he is named the bishop of Geneva, <laughs> which is kind of the center of, of all of these, these people defecting from the faith. And, and of course, John Calvin is there. And, and he took an approach, and this is what I want to model myself on. He took a, an approach of gentleness. So he had this beautiful saying, he said, you can attract more flies with a spoonful of honey than you can with a barrel full of vinegar. You see, so you can attract more with a little bit of honey than with a barrel full of vinegar. So, so instead of chastising the people, condemning the people, telling them all they're going to go to hell because they've left the faith, he gently persuaded them to return. And because this was the time of the introduction of the printing press, he developed kind of like what you're doing. You, you're using modern technology to, to preach, to proclaim the good news. And so he used modern technology to do the same. And that was called the printing press. <laughs> so he produced all of these pamphlets about the faith. And he would print yeah. thousands of them and then distribute them to all the people all over. And uh, so, so slowly he was winning people back to the faith. And so by the time he died, a good many of those people who had defected, who had left the faith, returned. The other thing that, that probably is good for your podcast, because you're all about holiness, he <laughs> preached and, and wrote about the universal call to holiness. That, that, yeah. that every, because at that time, people thought holiness was only for religious priests, bishops. But no, he said, everyone is called to holiness depending on their state in life and he would say for example it would be wrong for for uh, a woman who has many tasks to spend all her day in the church praying before the blessed sacrament that that wouldn't be appropriate spirituality conversely he said if you're a monk and you're supposed to be praying all the time and you're never praying you're out doing stuff all the time you're not being true to your calling and your vocation so he developed that idea that you you develop holiness based on your state in life, but that everyone, everyone is called to universal. That universal call to holiness, it comes from um, St. Uh, Francis de Sales. You know, he wrote many books about this. Um, yeah. You know, uh, invitation, uh, uh, it's introduction to the devout life. That's, that's yeah. all, that's the book 
you know, about personal holiness and, and, and uh, just, just such a, a wise and holy man. So he's my role model. That's the kind of bishop that I want to be. I love that. I love St. Francis de Sales. And like, hey, when you talking about it, <laughs> and then when you start talking about the devout life, I'm like, yes, I love this. <laughs> and I always tell people that he's not the patron saint of shrewd shoppers. Francis de Sales. He's always looking for the sales. <laughs> I feel like our first quick fire question kind of sets the tone. I set the tone. <laughs> there, more, more there we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. my goodness. <laughs> Um, the next question we have for you, Bishop Bertie, um, we were wondering what your prayer routine is like, or like your prayer life in general as a bishop. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. I have to say that it is foundational. It is foundational mm -hmm. because if you don't have a prayer life, then you're, you're, you're doomed <laughs> because <laughs> then you're only going on your own energy and your own strength. You're not, you're not relying on the Lord. And so um, I'm not saying that that uh, prayer isn't isn't challenging at times. It's easy to get to get distracted uh, very easily. So what what I, I try to do is is begin the day with an, a prayer hour, you know, an hour before the Blessed Sacrament, um, and and that is now certainly um, when you become a deacon, you're ordained a deacon, you make a public commitment to pray the Liturgy of Hours. It's called the, you know the office, the breviary. And so the breviary, basically, there, there's, there's four times of the day that you pray, and basically the Psalms, uh, and there's also an office of readings and things like that. So that kind of goes through your day. So in the morning, I'll do you know, some of my breviary morning prayer or office of readings, um, and, and I love uh, the rosary. Uh, you know, for me, the rosary is uh, one of the most perfect prayers uh, because um, not only does it, um, I think, draw us closer to, the, to our Blessed Mother, but also we focus on the central mysteries of our faith. And that's the beauty of the rosary. It's, it's so typical Mary. It's not all about her. It's all about the Lord. My soul, you know, that beautiful encounter with her, her and Elizabeth, when Elizabeth is singing her praises, you know, Mary doesn't say, hey, yeah, you're right. Aren't I wonderful? No. Her response is, my soul magnifies the Lord, the Lord. It's all the Lord. It's not me. It's all the Lord. And uh, so, so yeah, the rosary, uh, that is essential. Celebrating mass. Um, you know, with this whole COVID lockdown, the one thing that has, has troubled me the most is I really miss having a congregation and, and, and having all of these people because that, for me, uh, it, it helps to, to um, remind me that, what, that, that, that I'm not alone. And, and I know that even when I celebrate Mass, if I celebrate alone, I'm really not because there's that whole supernatural dimension of, of all the angels and saints. But, but it's also good physically to see these people who unite yeah. with me to, to celebrate mass. So um, yeah, celebrating mass is, is, is uh, a part of my day. Um, and so I'm happy to do that. I, when I was a pastor, when I was in the parish, I used to love doing daily mass in the parish. Uh, so I kind of miss that because I don't have my own parish, but uh, I do have an office at the, at the chancery at the Catholic center. And so usually daily, just before noon, I have mass there and the staff are able to attend that mass. Ooh. Wow, that's awesome. Wow. And of course, I also celebrate Mass. I, I try, the closest thing to my parish is the cathedral, really, because technically it is the, bear, the bishop's parish. So I do try with, with as much regularity as possible to celebrate the 1130 Mass in the cathedral. Ooh. Oh, awesome. Oh, actually, and I'm so I... pleased. This Sunday, we're back to 15% capacity. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Finally. Yes. I'm sorry. That's oh. just my <laughs> We have another guest. We have it's another guest. Another guest. They're so quick. Guest. I try to get him off the desk, but uh, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, oh, my we, God, almost, we almost had a catastrophe. <laughs> oh, no. That's, that's number four, guys. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. We'll have a joke <laughs> counter. We'll have a joke counter. We're counting the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> Actually, I have a, a question about. Um, so, um, there's a lot of things that like we obviously don't know about what goes on in the life of being a bishop. So, like, what is one thing that surprised you the most about being a bishop? Well, I think that's a very good question. What surprised me the most? Um, you know, I would say that despite all of the problems and, and all the issues that we faced over time, 
I think what, what really surprised me is, is the great respect that people have for the office of bishop being a kind of a successor of, of, of the apostles. I, I, it humbled me, you know, that, that people had such, had such respect. And uh, I, I, I just marvel at that. It, it, it's um, because I know that I am, and I think this is a, always, a, again, a reminder to me that, that, that I am just the person, but I must always uphold to the best of my ability, the, the office that I, that I hold. And um, and when all is said and when all is said and done, you know, a bishop is a successor of the apostles. That that's really so that lineage, if you want to use that term, we can be traced right back to those first twelve apostles. Because as you know, the apostles were sent out at Pentecost to proclaim the good news, and you know, as, as they were so successful because the Holy Spirit was in them, they were on fire. Many people became believers, and they realized that that what was happening is that their most important role of preaching the good news that they were kind of caught up in doing works of charity which is important you know caring for the poor the widows the orphans and so they needed help so that's when they first ordained deacons to help them in the kind of practical aspects of caring for the poor living out the gospel values and uh and then of course the church continued to grow and they they couldn't be everywhere for mass so that's when they created priests presbyters ordained priests and so that's why in the sacrament of holy orders, there's three levels, deacon, priest, bishop. And so what one says is that, that the bishop has the fullness of holy orders. For example, a deacon can, can preach and baptize and teach and, and celebrate marriage, but, but a deacon cannot celebrate mass or hear confessions or anoint the sick. A, a priest can do everything that a deacon can do, but he can also celebrate mass, hear confessions, anoint the sick. A bishop can do everything that a deacon, a priest can do, but what he also can do is ordain more priests, more deacons, and, and bishops. And uh, so it's just kind of, so that's why they say he's got the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders. I don't know, does that answer the question? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think... Um, Another question we have is like, how do you become a bishop or like, how would that process happen? <laughs> okay. All right. That, that's fine. So um, usually uh, what happens is um, sometimes what will happen is that uh, all the bishops of a certain, what we call province. So, um, so there's, there's diocese and then there's archdiocese. And so the archdiocese in this area is Toronto. So, Associated with the Archdiocese of Toronto are a number of other dioceses like St. Catharines, Hamilton, London, and so on. But so this is called so this is called a, an ecclesiastical province with with Toronto being the, the center. So every once in a while, the bishops are asked to put forward names of priests that they think might be good bishops, and then they have to give their reasons why. So then, when there's an when there's um, an opening for a bishop, uh, normally then then. Uh, certain bishops so the the nuncio in ottawa his role is is to help facilitate new bishops in a country in the name of the holy father and so he will then canvas priests uh, bishops and 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 ask for names and, and if they can take them from that the, the list that's that's a good thing uh and then there's a whole questionnaire that is sent out to to bishops sent out to lay people because every bishop is asked to send uh, if they know who, uh, wherever the diocese of this bishop or this priest is from, they consult the bishop. He's asked to send names of lay people. They can be consulted. The priests are certainly consulted. And then what happens is uh, a, a, a list of three names are put forward, and that is sent to the Holy Father in Rome. Uh, the congregation of bishops, they look at those names. They do their own investigation. And then finally, they're presented to the Holy Father, and he makes a final decision of, of those three. There's usually a recommend, like an ordering, first, second, third. And um, so, so it's a very much a consultative uh, a process, but it's certainly not something you apply for, like a job, you know, there's a job <laughs> opening, so I apply, no, no, it, it's, uh, and that's why it comes as a surprise, because it's all very, in that sense, in a good sense, it's all very confidential, so they don't, you don't know that you're being, uh, people are consulting about you, or, or your name's being put forward, so that's, uh, I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess to um, end off with one uh, question, well, there will be a bit more after, but um, this question is more about 
what's happening around now in the present age. Um, we just wanted to ask, so what are your thoughts about controversies? So for example, um, uh, like in our district, uh, with the Niagara Catholic District School Board, there's been um, the voting to fly the gay um, pride flag. And so um, things like that um, within the church. So what are your thoughts about controversies such as that? Well, this, this is, uh, it, it, it's, uh, push my cat away a little here. Otherwise, that's going to be a controversy here. Um, you see, th this has been the age-old issue that the church is have to, has to face. So I'm going to say something that, that I think is, is very true. I mean, I, I stand corrected, but I believe that there, there is no other institution in the world that has lasted for 2,000 years. That, that they've all fallen. So the church has existed for 2,000 years, and it's primarily because of the Holy Spirit, that it just hasn't relied on humanity, because we're weak, we fail, we're sinful. So it's the Holy Spirit that, that always leads us and, 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 and corrects us and, and, and inspires us. So it's that human element. I mean, the church has always been human and divine. You know, it's, it's the body of Christ. Christ is the head, but the members are sinful. Christ is perfect. Christ is perfect. And in her nature, the church is perfect. It's, it's her members. And, and this is, I think, especially um, disastrous when, when the, the clergy, those that are called to, to, to be like Christ, fail us through their own sins and weakness. And it's, and it's demoralizing. It's very demoralizing. And sometimes, you know, the church also makes bad decisions uh, something that, that I'll, I'll talk a bit about, i'll talk about the flag but just um just right now we're also faced with the residential school crisis and and the horror of that and there's no there's no question that the church should never have should have responded to the government's invitation to run these schools uh yeah. precisely because of of what they're all about you know taking children from their families uh, and, and putting them in these residential schools where there was potential for them to be abused, where there wasn't always a lot of food, uh, they didn't have a lot of money, uh, they got sick, they, they, they died. Uh, there's no, no excuse at all. I'm not even going to try to make an excuse for that. It, it, it just never should have happened. And, and I think the church is trying to make reparation, trying. I mean, they say we never apologize. I, I, I can show you countless apologies from the religious communities that ran these schools from bishops when they're in their diocese uh i know they're pushing for the holy father to say that and i'm sure we're moving in that direction but one has to understand that the holy father it's the world he he can't be running to every country and saying i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i mean we represent the bishops represent the holy father we're part of the college so in a way when we apologize we're apologizing on his behalf also uh the other thing that i think is very important is, is the, the, the nature and ecclesiology of the church. We are uh, a communion and, and, and with the body of Christ and Peter, the Pope, is, is, is the leader among us. And, and uh, bishops are in communion with the Pope. And, and so there's no such thing as the Catholic Church of Canada. You see, in the other Protestant denominations and in the Anglican Church, there are. You've got the Anglican Church of Canada. You've got the United Church of Canada, the Presbyterian Church of Canada, because they don't have a pope. They don't have a kind of a central. Uh, 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 they're all uh, in, 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 uh, national churches, national, Canadian, Anglican. We're international. So we can never make an apology on behalf of the Catholic Church of Canada because there is no Catholic Church of Canada. Each diocese on its own makes apologies, as I have. You know, I, but, but, but anyway, but my point mm -hmm. is that there's no excuse for that. And, and I just want, I know Catholics become embarrassed and demoralized. Look at my church, look at my church. Well, please don't let the sinfulness of others bring you down. There's, there's far more good than bad in the church. And the Holy Spirit is still very much alive. And we have to understand that there's also forces out there that want to undermine us. Uh, because, they, because Satan wants to demoralize us, wants us to give up. You know, and, and, and we can never do that. So that doesn't mean we hold people, we don't hold people accountable. That we have to do that, and uh, but I just want to uh, to assure your listeners that 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 that, that this is a very dark dark um, uh, blot on 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 the body of Christ. This should never have happened. And there's no excuse. But we are the good thing is we we are listening to the indigenous people in Canada, and they're telling us what 
they would like us to do. And that has been happening, even though you wouldn't hear that on the newscast. For years now, we've been listening to them and, and we are moving forward and, and that's important. Um, and then all the other abuse things, I, I, I mean, I think it follows the same rule of thumb where, where we've learned from our mistakes, that's critical. And, and uh, we're again, trying to move forward with hope. Uh, the the, the, the uh, flag issue, it's, it's been troubling. It's certainly been troubling for me. Um, I was certainly, I'm not in favor of, of flying the pride flag and I'll tell you why. And I know some people wouldn't understand that, but I'll tell you why. And, and I have made that known to the trustees even before the vote. So they know where I stand on this issue. We always, if we are followers of Christ, need to be supportive and caring and loving of one another. And certainly students who, who are struggling in whatever way are not sure of things, we stand with them. We don't, we don't condemn them. We don't exclude them. We welcome them and we love them and we journey with them. You know, Pope Francis speaks about accompaniment. That is so critical. It's like the road to Emmaus, you know, Jesus walking with the disciples and, and helping them to see and understand. So, so that, is, that is critical. And so for many, the, the, the pride flag represents acceptance and love and, and diversity and all of these things that, that people would hold as solid Christian values. And they are. But you see, that's only part of the equation. The flag also represents other things because it has also become politicized. And then there are other groups that, that see this flag as something very different. And, and so the other side of the equation is that there are people who are associated with, with this movement that would say marriage is, can be between any two people, you know, the same sex. So it undermines what we believe. And it's just not just some teaching that the church created. And this is a, a very important point. People sometimes differentiate between the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the church as if they're opposed yeah. to each other. No, yeah. the church is just reflecting the teachings of Christ. We would be doing a disservice if anything we taught contradicted Christ. We can't do that and remain mm -hmm. a church. We can't. Yeah. All we're doing is amplifying the teachings of Christ. And it was Christ who says in scripture, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and, and joins himself to his wife. And the two become one flesh and what God has joined, let no one divide. There in a nutshell is, is, is the teaching of marriage. It's between one man and one woman, not one man and five women, you know, polygamy, not between one man and one man and one man and one woman or one woman and one woman. That that's not marriage. So it, so it undermines our very understanding of, of marriage. The other point, and, and, and this is very critical because th this this is very serious when it comes to gender, because people will say that, that I have a choice to make. I decide whether I'm a man or a woman. It's how I feel. It's how I feel inside, what I feel. Or, going to the other extreme, I am non-binary. I don't think I'm either a man or a woman. I don't present as either, and I'm non-binary. I'm, I'm nothing. And so, in reality, again, that undermines our the teachings of Christ, the teachings of scripture. Again, the mm -hmm. quote I gave to you, Jesus says, you know, God made them male and female. That is why a man leaves his father. God made us. And that doesn't mean at times we might not be confused about our identity. But, mm -hmm. but the answer is not just to give in to the confusion. It's to accompany like the road to Emmaus and help them to see as those apostles eventually there, they said, our eyes are open and our hearts are burning within us. It's, it's sharing the truth. It's sharing the truth. And, 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 and an irony is, if you believe in, in someone being non-binary, in essence, what that is doing is even undermining inclusivity, because inclusivity talks about differences, and we, we respect differences. When you're non-binary, there's no difference, there's no, there's no distinction, there's no male, no female, it's just, I'm nothing, I'm non-binary, I'm nothing. So it totally undermines our human anthropology our christian anthropology and what we believe so then when a catholic institution flies that flag they cannot just be saying oh it represents acceptance and then reject the other thing that it represents it no you can't do that it represents it all mm -hmm. it represents it all and 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 I, I so that is what i tried to share and again i am not pointing fingers i know for a fact that that people who vote to fly the, the pride flag at Catholic schools, 
they're not evil people. They believe in their heart that they're doing the right thing. You know, they want to help these students. They don't like to see them suffering. But my point is, but are you really helping them if you're, if you're kind of destroying the foundation of our faith, what we understand with regard to the human person, to marriage, to family, to human sexuality, all of these things. So I just, I'm saying, look at the big picture before you make your decisions and see how it impacts what we actually teach. Because, you know, eventually what's going to happen is as society moves forward, they're going to say that if, if you believe that marriage is only can be between a man and a woman, then, you know, you're, you're preaching hatred, you know, you're preaching something that totally contradicts what, what, what is, what, what we want you to believe. And so this is that whole political, and, and we'd be naive if we did not think that there are people out there that are pushing this agenda there. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and part of that is, is the flag. So it's a very complicated issue. I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I know people, uh, gay people. I, I'm not condemning them. I, I'm, I'm not saying they're bad. I know that they struggle with issues. My only point is that just to give in to, to, to what they're experiencing is, is, is not true compassion. It, it's to journey with them and to help them to grow and help them to see things in a new and different way, just as Christ does that with us all the time. So I'm not, I'm not condemning at all. But see, the question now is, or the problem is that if you don't accept this flag, then they say you are condemning. You know, if you don't accept the flag, you're homophobic. And, and I think that is an oversimplification. And I think it's a grave injustice. Mm -hmm. wow. Thank you for sharing all of that yeah. with not only us, but like with any of our viewers who may be struggling in their own way with, I don't know, maybe like yep. things within church history or like the teachings of the church, because you, I believe you shared with us a message of hope with that, Bishop Reggie. So just thank you for that. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. And that's what I want to give to people that, that you know, there's, that, that there's nothing. Um, and I know how traumatic the, these, I, I've spoken to people who, who are, are dealing with this. And, you know, they talk about self-loathing and self-hatred. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are things, no one should have to go through that. And, and I think what we need to tell them is that God is love. God loves you. But see, God loves us yeah. and accepts us, but doesn't leave us where we are. God always mm -hmm. calls us to something greater, something greater, something more beautiful. And so... Yeah. All I need to say, all I would say to you is don't, don't give in to those feelings and don't journey alone. Journey with Christ, because with Christ, all things are possible. And the Lord wants us not just to survive, but to thrive. And I think part of the problem in all this is that, and what struggle and what, what troubles me is in this issue is that I don't hear enough about Christ. You know, it's all about all these other things, but the foundation of any Catholic school has to be Christ. Yeah. 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 Well, that's awesome. Yeah, well, thank, thank you so much for sharing that. It's like going further on. This is gonna be our last question. Um, yeah. about, like our. Uh, <laughs> our um, Wait a minute. My contract says only four questions. Oh, I'm well, sorry. Well, sorry. <laughs> oh, this, no. is, this is a surprise question. Um, but yeah, going on the same topic of like having Christ at the center and like being um, having um, using him as like a role model for us um, to um, and you've mentioned it earlier about you felt like for you, um, you you didn't feel like the holiest person um, when growing up in your early on in your faith journey um, so how like knowing that our podcast is called desire for holiness um, do you have any like practical tips for someone that wants to grow in their desire to be holy um yeah um, don't take yourself too seriously. I mean, uh, I think that what, what I am finding throughout my, my own life is the more I'm focused on myself, the more challenging it is to grow in holiness. That, that it's, it, it's, to use old English, you know, often they talk about the, you know, and, and often that was used for God. So I would say it's moving from me to the, to, to, to God. And so I would say... It, the more you can focus on the Lord and the less you, you worry about yourself and focus on yourself, the more you will grow in holiness. Because I always say that holiness is not something, 
Holiness is someone. And how we grow in holiness is the more we mirror Christ. And so as, as, as John the Baptist said so beautifully, that he may increase and I may decrease. That's the role to holiness. Because the more that I decrease, the more room there is for Christ. And the more that Christ flows from me, the holier I am. Because that's what holiness is, it's Christ. So the more I radiate Christ, you know, the holier I am. So it's got nothing about what Weight Watcher problem or Weight Watcher <laughs> program, but he may increase, I may decrease. <laughs> so that would kind of, in a, in a simple, without getting, I mean, you can go on and on and on, but I think that's, to me, essential, focusing on, on Christ, because we can always be focused, woe is me, and I think that's part of the evil one strategy, you know, yeah. focus on yourself, look at all your problems. Look at, so it's me, 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 me. No, no, it's the, 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 Lord. <laughs> Ooh, I like how you pulled in some old English there, the me to the. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. So, a good so in, you, know, you, you had that famous we movement. I call this the the movement. Oh, the movement. <laughs> the movement. Oh, it is the V movement. Yeah. <laughs> the, the movement. The V movement. There we go. But but I also oh. want to say, and I I, I I have to say this before our conversation is over. Uh, th there's a lot in, in in the world that can that can bring us down, but th there's far more beauty and truth. And you know, the, the trouble is when we when we get out of ourselves, we we go beyond ourselves, and we see this beautiful world around us. And and we see many beautiful people and these things give us hope. And, and I want to say that being part of your podcast and dealing with you three and what you're doing, to me, this is a powerful sign of hope because, you know, you're young people and, 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 and you're, you're faith-filled young people and, and you're alive in the spirit and you're doing good and wonderful things. And, and this is hope-filled. And, and, you know, sometimes I, I love, I love this definition of a saint. I can't remember who exactly came up with it, but the, the, the definition is that saints are ordinary people who do ordinary things in an extraordinary way. And really, that describes right. it through you. I mean, podcasts are really ordinary, but heck, you're doing it in an extraordinary way. And uh, because you're sharing your own faith and, and that's witness and that's powerful and that's good and that's hope filled. And it does me a great deal of good because, uh, you know, the church, people would say, oh, the church is a bunch of old people. No, no. It's, it's young people like you and, and you, young people like you who are on fire with the Lord uh, because you spread the good news. You draw people in and these podcasts, again, you can poke, you know, you can attack uh, social media and all the issues and Facebook and all these problems, but it's how you use it. In it all of these things are morally neutral. It's how you use them. And, and you're using it for good. You're evangelizing. And like I told you a little earlier, it's like the printing press, you know, it's using technology, <laughs> you know, to, to spread the good news. So God bless you for that. God bless you. Oh, Wonderful. Thank you for thank that, Bishop Bridget. <laughs> and honestly, we, yeah, we thank God for this because this is like the Holy Spirit is really working and yeah, praise God for this and for you. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and so before John closes this episode, um, just have a request for you, Bishop Berkey. Could could you please bless our ministry, our listeners, and um, lead us in closing prayer? But also, um, yeah. today we're filming June 9th, and John's birthday is tomorrow, June 10th. So we were hoping you could also bless John for his birthday. <laughs> I certainly will. It's an honor and a privilege. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God of love, I thank you for this opportunity to share with Roseanne and John and Tim. I thank you for their incredible ministry, for the ways that they are able to reach out and to share their faith with others. Continue to bless what they do and continue to fill them with hope and strengthen their faith and help them to continue to grow in holiness and all of those who listen to their podcast. Bless all the listeners, especially those who are most in need of our prayer, those who are struggling, those who are in need of healing, those who are struggling with hope, those who are unsure of their faith. Help them to put their trust in you 
and to move from me to thee and to see and believe that with you all things are possible. I thank you for this wonderful world and for the many incredible people who are a reflection of your love, for the beauty of creation, for the beauty of, of music, of art, of all the things that are a reflection of, of you, O oh God of love. I especially today thank you for the gift of life and we pray that you bless John as he celebrates his birthday tomorrow. Thank you for his life and grant him many, many more years of, of happiness, joy and peace. Lord, all that we ask is that you continue to use us in our own simple ways to bring you glory, to proclaim your good news and to help this world to be a truer and pure reflection of love. For God, may we never forget that you are love. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever and ever. Amen. And in anticipation of tomorrow, John, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear John. Happy birthday to you. May you have many, many more. <laughs> thank you thank you so much i really really appreciate it. thank you so much for the birthday blessing and thank you so yeah. much for joining us today my just, pleasure keep up the good work huh thank you and just like how we always do when we close this episode we like to say a little 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 some words from our patron saint saint Teresa of lucia holiness consists simply in doing god's will and being just what god wants us to be so with that thank you so much for watching everybody take care Bye. 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 Thanks. <laughs>